sermon, the song of response will be Psalm 47 as well. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe this afternoon's text choice strikes you as curious, if not downright awed and detached, disconnected. Of all times when a preacher can opt to preach on Psalm 47, why would a preacher pick now in this current climate and situation? After all, in this short psalm, we read, nevertheless, a lot about singing. And as we all know, there's a great deal of controversy over whether there should be singing right now in the church or in any other public place. And also this psalm speaks about gathering in verse 9. We're also familiar with the current gathering restrictions which block our ability to assemble altogether for worship. So what is the minister thinking? How is this psalm applicable to our day and specifically to this situation in which we find ourselves? Well, we need to look closely at the reasons given in this particular psalm for why God's people are called to sing and assemble as well as to clap and shout and exalt the Lord. It comes down to this, says the psalmist. It's because the Lord, our great King, has ascended to His throne. This was something that the Old Testament could only represent in the form of shadows, but which ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ, the one who was the reality behind the shadows, the one who cast the shadows. Christ, our great and glorious King, upon His ascension, took his throne, his place upon heaven's throne to rule over all. This fact of Christ's ascension into heaven is what the Christian church could celebrate not only on Thursday this past week, but always and and every day with great joy and, and gladness, even if it is done without singing verbally or assembling Altogether in the way that we've always done it. And so the theme for the sermon this afternoon has been summarized in this way. Our king's ascension calls for songs of praise. We'll see first the background of this psalm. And secondly, the relevance of this psalm. Well, perhaps besides Psalm 150, the final psalm of the Psalter. Psalm 47 is one of the most exuberant. Of all the psalms, we hear in this psalm the command uh, given a very loud and clear instruction not to wash our hands or to fold our hands, as important as those two are, but, but to clap our hands and to shout to God. And along with that, there's the, the sound of the trumpet and this five-fold call to sing, to sing praises in verses 6 and 7. And this command does not only go out to God's people, but it goes even farther. It doesn't only go out to the nation of Israel, 
whom God has chosen for himself as his people. But it goes far and wide to all peoples and all nations, regardless of what language or background or skin color or political stripe. Clap your hands, all peoples. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations. Verse 9, the princes of the peoples gather. For what reason? Well, the reason is given in verses 2 and 7, where we find the word for. Verse 2, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. Well, the reason is because the Lord is king. The great king who rules over the nations. The king who, as verse 5 says, has gone up or ascended. The Lord Jesus Christ is in view here. And this king, as verse 6 wonderfully describes him, is our king. Our king. Now, many have attributed this psalm to David as its author, whether directly or indirectly. They say that it bears the the marks of his handiwork. They suggest that he wrote it and then gave it to others for them to sing, namely to the sons of Korah. But the clearest information that we have about the authorship of this psalm is found in the note above the psalm, which ascribes it not to David, but to the sons of Korah. They're the ones who are mentioned there. The, the sons of Korah were the temple musicians, the singers and songwriters who lived during the lifetime of David. Now, a more difficult matter to determine is the original setting of the psalm, the background of the psalm. Most commentators believe that this psalm was written to be used and to be sung in a processional, such as when the Israelites were returning home celebrating a a victorious battle. You can imagine them singing this particular psalm. And no doubt this psalm would have fit very well for the occasion when the ark was carried up from the house of Obed-Edom into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6 in the days of David. Well, in these, in these kinds of scenarios, it was as though the Lord was going up, and showing His power in new ways and taking His, His royal residence to a new place, to a new home. But sometimes the Holy Spirit tucks treasures into the little details and he reveals them to those who read scripture in light of scripture and that's what the reader is to do here in psalm 47 there's no question that this psalm is a loud psalm there's clapping and shouting and singing a a recipe for a great noise produced by the mouth and by the hands Noise which is multiplied in volume when when many mouths and many hands are joined together. It's not unlike that that long lost sound that 
of, of sports fans cheering and celebrating their team's success or that other foreign sound of a, of a congregation in full assembly singing robustly and enthusiastically to the glory of our God. But you notice that in the midst of that sound, there's another sound, an even more dominant sound, and that sound is a distinct sound rising above and exceeding all the other sounds. And that sound is mentioned, you may have caught it in verse 5, the sound of a trumpet. Whereas you know there's something uniquely powerful, uniquely piercing about the trumpet. It has the ability to rise above the crowd and still be heard clearly. But the trumpet was significant for another reason as well. That's why we read from Numbers chapter 10. For in that chapter we read of the Lord's command to Moses, his servant, to make two special trumpets, silver ones, as opposed to ones that were more normally made out of brass or bronze. These trumpets were to be set apart for, for the purpose of of summoning the congregation or for breaking camp. Maybe a modern day comparison would be to the function of a school bell that rings to declare when school is in or when school is out. But when these trumpets would be blown twice as an alarm, it was a cue that the Israelites were to to pack up and set out from, from their location to a new location. This was the pattern that the Israelites were to follow throughout their wilderness journey as they moved from the land of slavery to the promised land, moving along with the tabernacle of God wherever the priests carried it. This is what it seems that the sons of Korah had in mind when they composed this psalm, connecting the the trumpet with with the Lord ascending, going up. It was rich imagery. For the Lord was was bound up with his tabernacle, his dwelling place, his residence here on earth. And, And this was symbolized in the most concentrated form with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, as as you boys and girls probably remember was the the golden box with the the two angelic cherubim mounted upon it the only item that you would find in the holy of holies most holy place of the tabernacle and scripture reveals that there was also a connection between the ark of the covenant and the holy throne of god Listen to 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. It reveals that the ark was also understood as as the footstool of God's heavenly throne. So the way to picture it is is that God's throne is in heaven, the place from which he rules. But but in the Old Testament, God also had a, a footstool for his throne. And that footstool was the ark. And the The ark was, of course, on earth. And this showed very clearly that God rules over both realms, over heaven and earth. So it's no surprise that Psalm 47 also mentions God's throne in verse 8. 
connecting this throne to the trumpet. And the people of Israel, as they traveled from slavery to the land of promise, the the trumpets would be blown as a signal to move ahead, to venture forward, to make progress. With each sound of the trumpet, the Israelites would be one camp closer. So at the same time as the trumpets were sounded, as the ark was lifted up onto the shoulders of the priests who were ready to move, Then Moses would also speak, as we read at the end of Numbers 10, and say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. In other words, the Lord is on his way. May the path be cleared before him. But as we also heard already earlier, there was another time after the Israelites had entered into the promised land, when the ark was was again on the move, and the horns were sounded. It was King David in 2 Samuel 6 who wanted to see the footstool of God's throne rise up to the top of Mount Zion. He wanted to see the ark finally find a place of rest in a prominent and permanent location. And so David brought up the ark of the Lord, the text says in 2 Samuel 6, verse 15, with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And one last time in the days of David's son, King Solomon, in whose days the temple was built, The ark of the Lord was raised just a a little bit higher. For on the top of, of Mount Zion was a higher rise called Mount Moriah, the temple mount where Solomon's temple was built. And when the temple was finally finished on the highest spot on Mount Zion, then we can read in 2 Chronicles 5, 12 and 13 that there was singing. And there was the playing of many different musical instruments, including trumpets. And after Solomon had dedicated the temple to the Lord, he ended his prayer with these words from 2 Chronicles 6, 41. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Here at last... After its long journey, the ark had found, had reached its rest, its resting place. After being carried and even carted for so long and so, for so far, having been on its way for so long, coming through battles, clearing enemies and obstacles out of its path, finally the the footstool of the Lord had come to rest on the most significant high point in the land of Israel. This is the background to Psalm 47. And now we'll move to our second point as we consider the relevance of this psalm. Well, Brothers and sisters, all of what we've heard thus far, as beautiful as it was, was only a shadow It was only symbolic, only ceremonial. 
the substance and the reality of it all was, was pointing forward to, to what was yet to come in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did not merely ascend to the top of Mount Zion or Moriah, but ascended from earth, from the top of Mount, the Mount of Olives, through the clouds, right into the throne room of God the Father in heaven. That was the biggest step forward. Greater than any step taken before in the Old Testament. For, God, for Christ's ascension was not only a step forward, but it was a step upward. It was the greatest step forward in the kingdom of our God. Unlike any step that had been taken before and that's the advance that, that we as God's people are blessed to, to live in, in the awareness of, and to live under. And yet while we know this reality and already live in light of it, the truth is that we are not yet fully there. We are not there ourselves. The rest that Solomon had proclaimed was only a shadow and we today have the day of rest on the weekly Lord's Day as we do today. These two are only shadows, for they are only pointing forward to the rest that is yet to come. Our lives are not one long perfect rest. And we know that. We experience that daily. Our lives are filled with so much unrest we endure struggles, we endure concerns, and our, our hearts experience so much restlessness. How much so in a time as we're living in today, wondering when and hoping for this pandemic to be over. We want to say, as the saints so often do and cry out, How long, O Lord? How long? But, but that, living in this pandemic maybe the least of our worries. Perhaps we're facing much greater distress in life, perhaps in strained relationships or facing serious health difficulties. That's our situation. And we may not feel much like clapping our hands and singing for joy. We may feel more inclined instead to sing one of the many psalms of lament, which there are Many of them, which seem more applicable to our lives and at this moment over against the 47th Psalm. But precisely when that is how we feel, there's all the more reason to be singing this Psalm or meditating upon it, meditating deeply upon it. For we need to be reminded that the Lord, the Most High, is the great King over all the earth. We know that the current state of affairs is not the final state of affairs. For his kingdom has not been ushered in, in its fullness, in its glory. And this gives us every reason to be joyful and to express with heart and voice this hope that we have. For we know that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven 
He is seated upon heaven's glorious throne from where he reigns and rules over all things. Hear how Paul says it to the Ephesians. He is far above, Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And all things were put under his feet and he was made head over all things For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's why we can rejoice no matter what situation we're in. As Christians, we know that God is ruling over all things, including COVID-19, including the economy and all the impacts of an economy including all political operations and mechanisms, including cancer, including chronic pain, including including strained relationships. And he is ruling over them all and, and through them all for the benefit of his church. So we can shout and rejoice and praise God because he has defeated and saved us from our sins. He has delivered us and conquered, and he's victorious, and he is working from his throne, from his throne office to usher in his kingdom in full. Well, in this psalm, we see the sovereign power of God, sovereign might of God. There's no maverick molecule in this whole universe He rules over every particle. There's nothing that's not under his domain. And that's why his promises are so solid and so trustworthy. That's why we can draw so much confidence and and assurance from them. If, if If there is no Adam that goes astray from his plan, then how much less would anything happen to us which... He has not willed in his good and sovereign will. What does this knowledge produce? Besides producing hearts filled with joy and enthusiasm, verse 9 also tells us that the princes of the people gather as the people of Abraham, the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. What's that saying exactly? We see here at the end of this psalm, princes and shields come together. This means that those who, who have Christ as their king are princes, princesses. They're given royal dignity and privilege. But with that, they're also given royal responsibility to defend the kingdom. With shields, because the kingdom has not arrived yet in its fullness. We're still under attack. Satan has not given up on us, on us yet, brothers and sisters. He has not been sheltering in place. No, far from it. And so to so people who have received royal responsibility have to stand together. United. That's how shields work best. As anyone who knows military 
strategies and tactics well will know that shields work best and enable an, an army to fight well by, by having their shields lined up side by side by side. No gaps, shoulder to shoulder. That's what puts up a strong defense. So this is a call for unity among God's people. Disunity and, and division serves no good defense. No, disunity only serves to help the enemy succeed. But as she stands united, the church stands strong. As she finds agreement in the, the truth of Scripture, finds her foundation for her footing there, in, an, in her collective commitment and cooperation to live faithfully before God in every way. And Psalm 47 expresses this unity in a very profound but almost unnoticeable way. For it's as subtle as the disappearance of one little letter. It's one letter, just as large as the rest. But did you catch it? It's the, the disappearing S. The disappearing S. All the way through this psalm, we've been hearing about the peoples. Starts with, clap your hands, all peoples. He subdued all peoples, verse 3. God reigns over the nations, verse 8. The princes of the peoples, verse 9. They gather, it says verse 9, as the people of the God of Abraham. One little letter disappears, drops off, but it makes a great difference. For what it means is that all people of every background and every biography are brought into one as the Lord God promised long ago to Abraham. This reality also gives shape and perspective to our mission and our, and our evangelism as our, as our purpose why we are here, one of the purposes for why we're here on this earth still. There's no room for superiority, no room for pride, no room for being self-absorbed or self-focused. Rather, the Holy Spirit in this psalm is directing us to have an, an outward focus, pointing us and all people to our ascended King. Our Lord Jesus Christ, pointing us to the ultimate reason to sing and to assemble, however that may look today or in the foreseeable future, until the last trumpet will sound and we'll experience the, the fullness of the, of the praise that this psalm can only foreshadow. So may this song be on our hearts and fill us with hope and gladness and expectation in the Lord, even if it cannot be on our lips. Amen.